delve into the book of Revelation. We want to give you the glory. Lord, I pray that you would take from me any words that I would speak and just give me what you want me to speak, Holy Spirit. It's not about me, it's about you. It's about the words that lead this church to us today. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would honor and be glorified in all that we do and what we do and say. So, last week I talked about Revelation, and I spent a lot of time defining terms for you guys, because definitions are important. We went through several of the definitions. There are too many people in the church today, in general, not this church, but in general, that don't want anything to do or think about the terms of words. And they mean something. For example, in Christianity, we talk about the Trinity. Did you know the word Trinity is not in the Bible anywhere? It's not in the Bible. That word is not there. However, we understand it because of what the Bible says about the triune God. I've actually had this discussion recently, talking about it, understanding that there are words that we define so people can understand what we're saying and we know where they're coming from. It's important. Words have meanings, and so I left the handouts over there again. If you want to look at them, you can. I also encourage you to go to our website and listen to the sermon from last week. Because as I was told last week, I opened up a fire hose and expected you guys to drink out of it. And I get that. It's a lot of information, but I wanted you to have it up front so you know where I'm coming from. The big idea last week, though, was grace. I hope you understood that it's about grace, that when we study this book, we need to look to grace as being something we breathe in. It has to be like our breath. And so when we talk about God's grace, I'm not here fighting you and getting upset and all that stuff. I'm talking about looking to and having something akin to the idea of grace as like our breathing. We need our grace from God and for each other because of our differences. It has to be as important as breathing for us to fellowship and love each other. Well, that's important. And I also told you the seven things in the sermon series that we're going to talk about. Number one, you who hear and keep what's written in this book are blessed. You guys are blessed, and I'm blessed for just reading it, it says in Revelation 1, 3. So thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to preach this. We're all blessed by studying Revelation. Number two, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, when we study this book, we get to find joy in our lives. In the midst of the afflictions that we have in this world, we get to find joy. That's why we're studying this book. Number three, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. All scriptures breathed out by God. And so a lot of people kind of step away from this book because it's scary. I don't want it to be scary for you. I, guys, I want you guys to understand why we're studying this book. It's because it was given to us by God. Number four, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 and 9 says it's our aim to please him because when we study this book, it helps us give us facts about life death. We get something from this. We get to see what's happening. Number five, studying this book gives us facts about the end of history. That's very important because people today don't think the history of the world is going to happen or the end of it is going to happen. And our history right now is being rewritten. And this hasn't changed. For over 2,000 years, this has not changed. Now people try to interpret it differently, try to understand it differently, try to have new revelations all the time. 
God's word never changes. And so it gives us something. It gives us reliability. In fact, we can share with others. Number six, James 4, 7, and 8. When we submit to God, resist the devil. He will flee from us. And we get to draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. That's what this book is giving us an opportunity to do, and that's why we're studying. Last week, I told you, you're going to have fun. Whether you like it or not, we've all been on vacation, and our Father has said to us, at least mine, you're going to have fun. I don't want to do this. You're going to have fun. By paying for it, you're going to like it. How many of you heard that one? Yep. I have never said that, Rebecca. That's right. I'm going to, you're going to have fun because I said so. That's right. Thank you, Pat. Today, however, we're going to see what this book is all about, what Scripture is really all about. And the big idea here is Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture is all about. It all points back to Christ. It all points back to Jesus Christ and His life and His death and His resurrection. And that's what this book is going to do for us. It points us back to the Creator of all things, Jesus Christ, God the triune God, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and today it's all about Jesus. So let's get into it because I want us to learn about Jesus Christ. This is the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 4 through 20. We're going to look at what, what was said and what was written to us. It says this in verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. All about Jesus Christ. It talks about seven there a lot. You see that the seven spirits were before his throne. So, what is seven? that relate to Jesus Christ? Did you know that the number seven is used over 50 times in the book of Revelation? That number is significant. Seven is the completed and perfect number in the Bible. Six days of creation, and God rested on the seventh day for completion. Seven is always found in the Bible as a completeness or divine number. Seven is something that God's going to do and talk to churches in Revelation. Exodus, actually, when we go back to that, Exodus tells us the nation of Israel to make sure that their sacrifices were at least seven days old. Joshua was told to walk around Jericho for seven days. And seven priests are to use seven trumpets to blow seven times to knock down the walls. Here we see the seven spirits. Some seem to think that's the seven churches, and others seem to think it's the completeness of the Holy Spirit. Seven. However, the greatest thing we can take away from this is that Jesus is the greatest comforter for all of us. He is the sevenfold of John, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am a 
the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. He is. Jesus Christ, he is the perfect completion of the number seven. Yes, seven is used in Revelation. Seven churches, seven banks. Revelation 5, 6 talks about Jesus and says this, Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, Jesus Christ, as though it had been slain, with seven horns, with seven eyes, the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Jesus is the completeness that we're all looking for in this life. He is the perfect person of God and the number for all of us. He is telling us right here it's all about Jesus. So seven divine completeness or perfection and it leads us all to look to him who completed everything for us. That's why he said on the cross, it is finished. He completed it for you. There's the seven Reconciled us to himself 
the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Paul says something very important here. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who could be no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thessalonians says this. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Verse 7, Revelation chapter 1. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him, and all the tribes on the earth wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And so the interesting thing is everyone's going to see Jesus. The dead in Christ will rise first, even those who pierced him. Thessalonians 4.13 through 18 is what this is all about. There it is. Okay. This is what 1 Thessalonians says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may grieve or not grieve as others do who have no hope. So listen to what he's telling us. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by our word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God. Again, don't make the mistake of thinking that trumpet relates to the trumpet you hear in Revelation. That's a mistake too many people seem to make. Trumpets were used throughout all Testament and New Testament, it had everything to do with a signal of something coming. So too many people make that mistake. But we're not going to precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet him in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. one another with these words. By the way, the word caught up is the way is the word rapturo in Latin. Aparzo in Greek, which means snatch or take away. It's where we get the word rapture from. So you'll hear this today in the word 
There's no such thing as the rapture in Scripture. There's no word rapture. That's not true. In the Greek, it's there. In the Latin, it's there. And it's the word we translate as caught up. So stop telling people rapture's not in the Scriptures. Yes, it is. And this is fights that Christians have had for millennia for some reason. They don't seem to understand the original language. And I don't know why, because that was one of the major things we had to do in seminary, was study the original languages. It was a lot of fun to learn a second language and then a third language. And then I went out and tried to learn Spanish. Man, my life was like, I'm done. I can't think anymore. Because everything seemed to just smush together. And now I'm teaching Latin to kids. But I'm telling you, rapture is there. It's where we get the word rapture. It means caught up in the air with Christ. Pre-tribulationalists hold that the rapture of the church occurs before the tribulation. And I'm coming to you with this because this is my understanding of Scripture. I told you yesterday, last week, I'm not going to argue post and pre-trib. I'm not doing it. Where I come from and my understanding, I'm going to give it to you. Hopefully you can open up your hearts and your minds to hear what I have to say. If you don't happen to agree with me, that's the beauty of this. Don't be wrong. Just don't. I have a shirt that says, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just proving to you why you're wrong. Or it's something to that effect, or why I'm right. Chapter 2 and 3, in chapter 4 and 5, the 
shifts to heaven. John actually is beckoned with a trumpet-like voice. Again, there's a thing where he's getting called up with a trumpet. Come up here, verse four, chapter 4, verse 1. Come up here and I will show you things that must take place after this. The church is going to view the tribulation like John from heaven. A brief picture of the redeemed around God's throne in Revelation chapter 5. In chapter 6 through 8, the tribulation unfolds. And in chapter 19, Christ returns to the earth. And then, after the first resurrection, he reigns for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 7. Which is followed by the new heaven and the new earth. Chapter 22, verse 21 and 22. Nowhere during the entire tribulation period is there a word about the church in heaven. Nowhere. No post-tribber. No mid-tribber. No pre-rapper can come up with a word that even comes close to the word church. Not one. Another thing is, the outer, the other reference to the church during the tribulation is in 13.6, as close as they can come up to. It's where John is speaking of those who dwell in heaven. So, in chapter 13, he talks about the church as the closest they can come up to, and it's people who are dwelling in heaven, not on earth. So again, the argument doesn't hold water here. Because it's talking about unsaved earthly dwellers in chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. But those who are raptured are human and saved. Also, they appear to have bodies in heaven. And the verb dwell is from the same word used for Christ's incarnation in human flesh. John 1, 14. And also for a believer's body in 2 Corinthians 5. It's never used for spirits. Never. So this is all about pre-tribulation language. That the saved are raptured before the tribulation and given resurrection bodies in heaven. This is about Jesus. This is his truth. It's not mine. I'm trying to show you what the scriptures say. I'm not just giving you my opinion. I'm pointing to the scriptures. So go look at it for yourself. Because it is he who is, he who was, and he is to come. And he does something very important here. In chapter 1, verse 8, he gives us a warning. Here it is, verse 8, chapter 1. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on an island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. First day of the week, he's in the Spirit on the Lord. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, verse 11, Write what you see in this book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand was the one of, like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. Verse 14, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Verse 15, 
His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last.
disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. This is what happens in John on the end. The book of Revelation, he's sitting there, and he's fallen down at his feet, and he has done touching the truth. I'm the truth. I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. It's all about Jesus. We don't have to fear him. We don't have to fear him. John has one thing to do. One thing he's got to do. So that you and I can learn how to do it rightly. And that's to lean not on our own understanding, but all our ways acknowledge him. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It'll bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. John has one thing to do, and it's all what we have to do today. What is the one thing John has to do? Verse 19 of today. Listen to what he has to do. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those things that are and those things that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars, and the angels of the seven churches. You know the word angel? It just means messenger in Greek. So I do think, if we look at it rightly, the messengers of God, we can sing. Now, I agree with you, Tom. I don't think angels in heaven with wings are the ones who are singing. I think the messengers of God, the angels of God, us, we sing praises to him. In fact, when you get to Revelation, you see there's creatures singing to him. They're actually going around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who is and who was and who is to come. And we see the messengers of God singing to God all day long and worshiping him. It's going to be an amazing picture. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. He explains to him what John saw so that he knows exactly what to do and why to do it. And he tells him, write it down so that the church can know what's going to happen. This is what we can't do. That number seven, that completion, that divine perfection. We give Jesus. That's the beauty of why we're studying this book. And that's why John wrote it down. And that's why I truly think we can know more about God and fall in love with Him as we're learning to love each other well as a church, as a country, as a nation. How much more if we learn to love each other well would we have unity in this country? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be something you'd all desire is to have unity and care and love for each other? As I told you before, most millennialists believe that we're living in the millennial reign right now and that the rule of the world will eventually become Christianity. And it'll just be kind of like, hey, everyone's going to do it. And their proof is because the Bible's the best-selling book in the world because we see more and more people going out sharing Jesus. They have all, I gave you all those proofs. The reality is, is it getting better right now? How many of you feel so excited about what's going on in our country and in the world today? so much better right now. The world we know and the world we see right now is becoming more Christ-like, isn't it? Be careful. Who would 
what you think and who you listen to. Because there are too many preachers out there who are doing it all about the money, doing it all about themselves. Look at how great I am, and look at what revelation I came up with. Look at what understanding I can come up with. It's not about Jesus, it's about me. That's what they say. In fact, if you really want it, go buy their book or give money to their ministry. It's beautiful. Because they're the ones who know, and you don't. And they're smarter than you are, and you need to listen to them. Lord, to understand and follow you. Help us to look to you in your way. 
asking ourselves, what are we doing well and what are we falling short on? Lord, help us to see what you want us to see. 